Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. I have been so looking forward to this conversation because our guest today is Philip Mitchell. He has been on the show before, back in, oh gosh, many years ago. I think your episode was in the 50s. And you're an interior designer from Toronto, or based in Toronto, New York. And you have a full-service design firm called Philip Mitchell Design. Your work has been featured in House Beautiful, Better Homes and Gardens, House and Home, Veranda, Architectural Digest, and more. And we are so thrilled to chat with you today about your brand new book with Rizzoli called Collected Interiors, Rooms That Tell a Story. Welcome back. Thanks for chatting with us. Thank you very much, ladies. I'm super excited to be here. And Liz, you know, nice to meet you as well. Look forward to talking with you guys today. Yeah, thanks. It's great to meet you. And congratulations on your new book. I know I'm sure it's been many years in the making and what a huge accomplishment and project to tackle amongst your your many homes and your many client projects around the world. Thank you very much. We're, we're super, super excited. And in fact, uh, the, um, the I, I don't even know what you call it, I guess, the proof copy just arrived today, literally before the call. So I'm super excited. I was just paging through it and it's... Uh, it's kind of set in now that it's like reality because there it is. Yeah, uh, you have and, the physical. Uh, yeah, it's thing. Like there's no turning yeah. back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. no, we're pretty excited, and I'm super proud. Uh, it it really turned out beautifully. It surpassed our expectations, and uh, Rizzoli did such an amazing job, and and you know really has been a dream to work with on this entire process. So we're we're super excited. I'm 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 anticipating how everybody's going to feel about it. I think it's it's a breath of fresh air. It's something different, and it's I think something that a lot of people sort of connect to. So I'm excited about the release of it. Well, we were lucky enough to get a PDF preview of the book and I've just devoured it. It's amazing. And I suggest everybody get a copy. I know I'm going to be buying a copy because it's it's stunning. It's Thanks stunning. so much. And it's Thanks, so inspiring. Liz. Yeah, well, we, we really wanted to focus on um, the idea of really sort of putting together what we do for our clients and ourselves to sort of for the reach, so to speak. And uh, it was amazing because, you know, uh, we had this idea and we really, we didn't know if if somebody else would be interested in it or not. You know, the design world is big, it's it's competitive, and not everybody's work is necessarily meant to be in a book. That being said, we sort of, we had a great friend of ours and PR person, Elizabeth Blitzer, who was amazing and instrumental in sort of putting this all together. She introduced us to an amazing gal also, Jill Cohen, who is incredible, like an amazing, amazing book booker who's really worked so hard with us to sort of put this together and uh, the concept of it. And it's just, it's come to such a point now where we've really, we're super excited because now it's in print and uh, you can sort of see all the ideas and the inspiration that we have to offer sort of in in the way that we approach design and uh, the way that we approach design for our clients also. And I hope that there's a lot of things in there that people can take away for themselves also. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of little takeaways at the end of each chapter also. And I think that 
our whole idea is that we really want to just focus on on people learning to love a lot of the things that they have and learning to build on those feelings and those emotions that are attached to certain things that they have and to sort of make more of what they have, if that makes sense. You know, obviously adding to, but not discounting memory or sentimentality or things like that and trying to sort of build on those emotions and those feelings to sort of make something super personal for somebody in their own space. Yeah, you talk in the book a lot about storytelling. And well, I wanted to start by asking what what do you think your what story does your house tell about you? But you have three houses that are in the book. So true. I guess it depends on which house we're talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And and I think, you know, a lot of our clients tend to have more than one property also. And what's great about it is that, you know, being able to sort of touch on that and developing that story is is something that affects every one of those houses in a very different way. And when I say that, a lot of the time when we're looking at design for our clients and ourselves, a geographical location definitely plays into account of what's going on and, and how we're really going to sort of approach a project. Definitely the architectural style, if something's pre-existing, that absolutely informs you know some of our decision making. If it's in the city, is it in the country? Is it in the, you know is it on the waterfront? Is it more of a primary residence? Is it a vacation residence? Is it a pied de terre? How are you going to use that space? And again, same way that we would sort of dive into talking to our clients about their projects and how they sort of see them developing we start with that and then we really do we really do like to try to tie into things and sort of lead a story along the way and so you know for example somebody who's has a vacation place in a location that maybe they didn't grow up in or is new to them they may not have maybe everything is going to be from new or from scratch or purchased or made or custom designed. But at the same time, we also, usually our clients are repeat clients and we will sort of go to them and say, look, like, let's look at some of the stuff that you have in such and such city or in such and such place and see if there's something in there that's maybe not used as much as it could be. And we could use that as an inspiration tool or something to tie into something in the new location or the new additional space that we'll be doing for you. And we we like to sort of tap into obviously somebody's history and again, emotion. You know, Maybe there's something that somebody purchased on a honeymoon. Maybe there's something that was a gift from a, a great aunt that's passed away. Maybe there's something that was handed down that's very special. And, and it may not even be something of a huge monetary value, but maybe it's just like a little chest that reminds somebody of a relationship that they had and a positive emotion that we like to try to build on. And that storytelling, I think, starts with that. And again, it could be artwork. It could be somebody's china. You name it. We like to try to tap into whatever that emotion is and build on that for somebody. And then again, that sort of leads to a story. You know, like often, you know, if you're on a vacation spot and it's not somewhere you live primarily, it's amazing that you can sort of then build on some sort of history or sentiment that you have to then introduce you to other things and add to that thing that you're adding to and making it more. So then all of a sudden, something that was just a, a maybe a, a set of dishes per se has inspired how we're going to approach maybe a color palette in a space or how a dining room would be used. And, and those are all things that sort of lead into that and sort of can be developed further. They can keep going depending on the scale of the project. It can lead to many other sort of avenues from bedrooms to you name it. But the, the long and the short of it is we really do love to be able to sort of create that story for somebody and, and, and let them build on their own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned right off the bat in the book that the design process starts with two really straightforward questions. And that's, what do you like and how do you want to live? So I'm so I'm personally so layered, like I have so many different likes and I'm sure everyone else does too. How do you build that list of likes, bring in the things that we that tell stories about our personal lives? And how do we edit that list to make it something that's personal yet cohesive? 
Absolutely. It's, that's a great question. And so for us, you know, part of the strategy that we do is, is we like to be, we like to start by being as open as possible. And when I say that, I think that there are elements and, and even little emotions that you pick up from people that they don't even realize. It's like a subconscious thing where somebody might mention something or discuss something and it sounds so crazy, but we were just talking to somebody the other day who summer camped in a certain location. And there was something about her story and what she was talking about and nature that had never really come up before. For us as a designer, we never discussed this element of of her personality. And so it just helped us sort of build on something that we ended up collecting for her, which was a series of pieces of art that were completely varied in media, but all related to the leafy outdoors, you know, like a beautiful photograph of, of greenery and like a lake, a beautiful oil painting that sort of tied into that. And I guess the idea is, is that we, we like to sort of first expand on whatever it is that somebody has told us. We like to dig a little deeper and even have more to pull in there. And right at that point where you you feel, and I think you're relating to this, where it becomes maybe overwhelming, or how do you tie it all together? How do you put it, like you have so much, then what do you do? The amazing thing is, is that if you have more to choose from, it's so much more to edit. It's so much easier to make more and, and pull elements from every varying thing, from furniture to fabric to artwork to carpets, you name it, architectural styles. It's so much easier to pull out of the hat all the tricks that somebody has already offered you up than it is to try to create something and get someone to say like an immediate no, no, no. You know, like in the immediate response is like, if you've already picked all of these beautiful things and maybe they don't all work together, it's our job to start pulling those together and helping somebody develop a, a scenario or sort of like a, a, a string that ties them all together. But it's easier to do that than it is to sort of have somebody immediately sort of shoot something down because they have a wall up against that or there's a connotation for them that they don't relate to. If they've given you all of these, these little pieces of information, these little tidbits that can help us build on something, it's that much easier to pull those things apart. And then it's also our job to help people understand Obviously, you can't put everything into that room or the entire house for that matter, you know, like, and there are some things that, that work and some things that don't work. And that's part of what we do as a designer as well. We help those people understand that there's a connection here and I can see a connection here. And we've got two or three other options that we could pull from this also based on what you've said. But let's try to start to limit those things. And let's pick from all of these things that you've given us. The, the best of those things and start to build on those and put them all together in such a way that it works. And again, there is a, a huge amount of editing that ties into that. Liz, I loved your question because so many of us probably have that issue. But like, okay, if we have all of these things, like, should we physically, like, how can we do it for ourselves? Should we physically be putting them in a room and like, see if it works? Should we take pictures? Like, how do, how can we what are maybe some like exercises we can do to edit ourselves because we may not have your genius expertise yeah, on our side definitely short of of building like an fbi wall of like find the serial killer <laughs> through all the threads yeah, thread. right exactly. the red thread. it's the it's the fine waldo right where's waldo in the scenario there's to me the easiest approach is the approach that i know which is definitely organic it's about emotional it's about it's about how you feel about something and the easiest way i'm telling you for me and how i do it and even my office and everybody in it is to log everything that it is that's in consideration and when i say that it doesn't have to be fancy it's you know obviously we go into a little bit more detail with detailed photographs of all different angles dimensions all those things but just to start it's it's easy to take photos of things that you really really like take photos of things that you 
you maybe have inherited but don't really like but feel badly like, oh, should I let go of it or should I keep it? Take those photos also and take photos of even of the things that you think you're going to get rid of, things that you don't really love. And this is going to sound so crazy, but once you start to sort of lay it all out and you start to look at things, you may go back and say, you know, I don't love that chair, but it's super comfortable. And there's something about it that I still like. Like I like the shape, maybe the fabric's a little tired, but you know what, I'm still going to keep that into this pile of things that I like. And you may also then look at things and say, you know, look, my grandmother's silver, I'm never going to use it. Like I love it and it's, it is worth a lot of money and I don't have a sentimental attachment to it, but I'm never going to polish silver. I'm never going to maintain it. I'm never going to keep it other than in a box hidden away somewhere because it was my grandmother's. And maybe that's something you think about possibly throwing into the pile that's you know debatable, that's maybe going to be sold or auctioned off or given away. And, and you have to start to really look at things and sort of the way you would analyze anything really. And, and when you start to think about that way and you're open, I think it sort of leads to a lot of a lot of directions or paths that you wouldn't have necessarily thought right off the bat. I think a lot of people, a lot of people see design out there and they see these beautiful houses. It could be more contemporary, more traditional, more layered, or not, more sparse. But the thing to remember is that all of those people had to get to a certain point. Everybody had to do a similar thing to get there. And and whether or not that means more editing in some instances or or adding more in others. And the thing is, is that if you just keep sort of focused and you look at all those things and you're honest with yourself also, like I have things that I don't particularly love that I inherited and they're not my style and they feel a little bit old for me and they feel a little bit maybe too grown up, you know, but taking something like that and then mixing it with something else, like, you know, a a beautiful old oil painting that again, wouldn't be my style is a little bit dreary and a little bit not for me mixed in, juxtaposed next to a contemporary abstract piece of art, and then throwing in a contemporary photograph with that also gives that piece an entirely whole new existence in life. Like it, it makes it fresh all of a sudden. And it's less about that piece then, and more about the composition of what I've put together with that piece, if that makes sense. And then yeah. mm-hmm. you've got this, you know, I always, like I have to say, generally speaking, there's very few things. I mean, that I'm I'm not a rule person. I don't like someone to say, oh, you can't do that because of this. I'm more about an organic feel for things. I'm definitely honest. If somebody's going to come to me and say, look, I have this suite of Victorian furniture that I want to use, you know, that's the kind of thing that we would say, look, like maybe that's not my particular style. And if you really, really love it, I think that we would break it apart and start to use pieces in different spaces. Like maybe we use an accent chair in a guest bedroom. Maybe we use, you know, a settee somewhere else, but I wouldn't keep it all together. I would start to to give it new life and really make Mm -hmm. more of what it is. Bring it forward for today. So that the other thing is, is that nobody wants to be stuck with the past. Nobody wants to be stuck living in the past, you know? And I think that there's so much opportunity to move everything forward, you know? Yeah. Okay. You brought up art and I feel like we have, we could probably talk the entire episode about art because you are masterful at it. Liz, do you, I I feel like you're chomping at the bit. I am totally chomping at the bit (laughs) on this one because there is such a casualness that comes with how masterfully you hang art. It's just, it's really incredible. I'm so excited for everybody to see this book. Seriously. I think at the end of the day, again, both my partner and myself, we love to collect. We have obviously inherited a large number of things as well. And the thing for us is really about 
being able to surround ourselves with things that we love also to a degree, I know it's probably hard to believe looking at our own personal, our house in Chester, for example, editing and where that would come into play, but it sounds ridiculous, but there has been a tremendous amount of editing to make that work. Even though there are so many groupings throughout our house, we have so many gallery walls, but there is, there is also degrees of where we've decided to just have negative space here and there as a relief from what, what else is going on in other spaces. And I think that there's, you know, you have to, I think, have to have a balance like that. And again, for us, it's really, it's happenstance. For us, we've, we've had so many things that we have to work around or not have to work around, choose to work around and build on. And again, I love the freshness of taking, again, a very abstract, graphic, intense piece of contemporary art next to two beautiful historical 17th century oil paintings. And there's something about, and I often would look at things, maybe there's a color that's like in, in one of the landscape, a soft green or something that ties into the abstract piece. You know, maybe it sounds silly, but maybe there's something, an antique vintage gilded frame on a piece of art that ties into a color in an abstract or, or a contemporary photograph for that matter. And I try to find these threads of connection, not, not necessarily like to match anything, just so we're clear, but so that there is an overall flow to how you look at an, a total landscape of art. And again, it's something as simple as having like people always ask how to do that gallery well it's something as simple as starting with a few things and not everybody has enough pieces to make a gallery wall and you can't just force a whole bunch of things or go out and buy a whole bunch of things in my opinion to make that work i think you have to build on that and you know i tell my younger clients all the time don't worry about a gallery wall let's worry about just having a, a, a wall that we can have two or three things on and make sort of a an impact there and you can always build on that but to try to take a staircase and have like 50 pieces in there most people don't necessarily have 50 pieces to work with right off the bat and they're definitely not all going to work together we are lucky because again it is a bit of a trial and error but we have a lot of pieces of art and therefore we can mix things a little bit more we can shift things and we also rotate things to a degree as well because Again, we like to be surrounded with what we love. But I think the same thing that I tell all our clients also is that you have to focus on what you really love. I do tell everybody to really let us take a stab at it first before you think something's going where it is. Let me know if there's a sentimental attachment to something or if there's something you really, really love or are attracted to, because obviously that will be in a more prominent position. But even for ourselves, our most expensive pieces of art aren't necessarily like in the living room or or in a space that you see. They're, they're maybe in our bedroom where we see them every day, or even I have a really beautiful piece that's in our bathroom that I see every single day, several times a day, you know, but I put that there because I get to enjoy it rather than being in, you know, a space that you don't use as often, or is that more meant for public use or or friends or family to enjoy, you know, so we really approach it that way also. I love that. And I love going back to that idea that there's a thread that goes through that, whether it's a small color or the frame or some sort of like small detail in the work that makes you smile, that bounces into something else that make, kind of makes your eye dance around totally the gallery wall. Absolutely. And it's like when you think about anything, like if you think about a great meal, you know, the, the flavors and how they connect and how there's like there's a surprise and that's something that's unexpected, but sometimes makes that dish incredible or an amazing book you're reading where all of a sudden the author has kept you so engaged because it's, there's this little thread of things, but then, you know, you're jumping from one thing to the next thing, but it ties it together. Like there's something that to be said for approaching 
artwork or design for that matter in the same manner so that you really tie things together. And I think people, you know, often today I find a lot of the time people, or design at least it seems, people step back a bit and they, they want it to be a little bit quieter because I think maybe that they're apprehensive or nervous or they don't want it to be overwhelming. But I think, you know, there's something about really tying into somebody's personality and a conversation point about a piece of art that is unexpected and not necessarily part of what is going on that creates a conversation and that people then become interested and they want to talk about that. And, you know, it offers up that story again that we were talking about earlier. And this this tie-in of a personality that I think is so important to our own spaces, building on that. Okay, so you mentioned tying things together, but I feel like the way you do tie your gallery walls together, it's n- it's in no way obvious. Like most people might think, oh, okay, the way I can tie it together is like by using a uniform framing convention. Whereas you don't do that at all. I actually couldn't find a single gallery wall where you, you except unless it was like a series yeah. where you had the same frame or all white frames or all black frames. Okay, so that is something that I find to be very challenging but you do it so well so like give us a guide kind of to think about framing and are there any don'ts in terms of mixing frames i'm gonna throw you for a loop now because regarding the framing oh gosh i have never ever ever thought about trying to frame a series of things that were going together to match or to be the same or consistent to be honest and so for me it's definitely more about the pieces. And in fact, many of the pieces, when you look at art galleries, well, often don't even have a frame. I mean, it could be an abstract piece of art that doesn't even have a frame because we've chosen to leave it that way. You know, that's how we brought it from the, the artist and that's how we think it looks the best. And we've kept it that way. In other instances, there might be, and I'm, I'm sort of a stickler for this, I love the charm and the character and the feel of an original frame, especially on like if we bought a beautiful vintage piece from the 70s or the 60s, where you see like those sort of just natural wood frames that are cracked and falling apart. Or, you know, you could see like a beautiful old brass frame on something that really is tarnished and scratched. But there's there's a character and a patina that's associated with that that I love also. So I look less at trying to sort of think about things as in a, a matching or consistent framing model and more about... I look at all of the individual pieces, and it sounds crazy, but like a puzzle, we often will be very involved. I mean, I do a lot of detailed sketches and hand drawings, but then our office also does a lot of detailed CAD drawings with the space and and the sizes, et cetera. And much like we were saying earlier about taking a, a documented uh, sort of uh, legend of what you have and, and keeping sort of uh, everything accounted and, and sort of displayed in such a way where you can sort of see a piece of paper that has a piece of art on it with the dimensions and the sizes and the color, we take things like that and we start to work around putting together a puzzle and taking, say, maybe the largest piece first that you're trying to use, figuring out where it's going to look best, best say, on a stairwell. And, and on that stairwell, maybe it's going to be the center point, and that's the feature. Or maybe it's the bottom of the stairs, and that's the center feature that's most visible. And then we start to take things and play with it to work on that. And, you know, obviously there's a size and a scale. But again, I have no problem with like a huge 48 by 48 inch piece of art next to something that's smaller and round. And then below that, you know, two rectangular things. And then like a puzzle, fitting things together. Again, mixing up the shapes because I think that is also interesting and adds interest to what you're looking at. But also, you know, to tie into like we were saying earlier, like there might be a little bit of a color from the paint in a painting. There could be something in a frame that that ties into something as well. And again, it's not 
so much about matching. It's again, it's that very subtle thread that leads through things. And then maybe the harsh color that you have up at the top of the stairs on a, a sculpture that's on the wall that's like a bright red is tying into something somewhere down through the visual line of what you're looking at. But it, it all kind of flows when you start to look at it. What about when you are, because you do this in, in your um, Toronto home, it's largely neutral. And I feel like it it makes sense to me to have to think like, okay, I can use color in my interior choice, like my decor choices and my art, like tie art pieces to the room. But many of your rooms are neutral. So I'm like, so you've got like this neutral canvas and you can go anywhere with the art and you have all these colors. So like, how do you... How do you make it to where the art is not the only thing you're looking at, I suppose? For sure. And again, remember, this is a totally personal, individual thing. Mm -hmm. And everybody is different. And it's not an unusual question. People ask us that when they even come to any of our houses. They ask the same question. How, How did you do that? Like, how is that working? Even though it looks to me like it shouldn't work, you know? Yeah. It looks like it shouldn't work, but it works. Right. And, And I think, again... I really do think that there's something to be said for really purchasing what you personally love. And Mm. I I think a lot of the time, you know, it's, you know, I'm probably shooting myself in the foot when I say this also, but I don't think it's bad to ask somebody's opinion on something, whether or not it's a design professional, it could be your, your, your mother, it could be a friend. To see what somebody says also. And remember, because not everybody is looking at things with a designer's eye necessarily or a curated eye. And for me, even with our clients, I always say, you know, look, buy what you love. And so for us, the same thing applies. We buy what we love. And, you know, we have a neutral apartment in Toronto that is super neutral. In fact, the walls, the furniture, everything is sort of white or off-white, the entire palette in our apartment. And there we've chosen to use art as the color. And we've done it just because we wanted a very simpler look for us, especially because it wasn't somewhere we lived primarily. It's like a stopover. We treated it a little bit more like a hotel in the sense that all of the, the the interior furnishings are fairly simple, very clean and contemporary, but the art, you know, we have a lot of colorful art. Like a lot of the things we have are, we have a lot of inherited art. So we have like big traditional paintings of cows. And <laughs> even though that's not my favorite thing, it's big, it's bold, it's impactful. And I feel like if we had just put that on a wall in our apartment above a contemporary sofa, it might've looked a bit odd, you know? All you get is the cows. All yeah. you get is the cows. But you know, when you place the cows next to two equally strong abstract pieces, like two beautiful black and white paintings next to this substantial cow that's in this gilded frame from the 18th century, you start to then have a conversation between the two. Maybe it's an argument in some in some cases, <laughs> but there's there's a little bit of a life that starts to happen between those two things. And then and it, it's, again, just me, but I, I love everything. And it's hard to sort of just say I love oil paintings or I love photography or I love sculpture. And so, you know, we buy a lot of different things. And that's what I really, truly try to encourage my clients to do also, or anybody who asks. Buy things that you wouldn't think would necessarily be going on the wall necessarily. So you see a wall sculpture somewhere. If you like that and you can afford it, you don't have to think about exactly where it's going to go. Because that, I think, is the problem also. A lot of the time people think, oh, where's that piece going to go? Or, But a lot of art consultants, you know, they buy for a certain value, obviously. Sophisticatedly, they tie together collections. But I think the key thing is, is that, you know, when somebody's picking something that they love or that speaks to them, 
I have yet to find a scenario where I haven't been able to work with somebody, even if it's not my taste in art, to put something together that's interesting. I, I always think it's better to have, and this is again terrible, but I think it's better to have bad taste than no taste or pedestrian taste. I think it's more interesting. I mean, I would much rather go into a place like, I don't like Gaudi's work myself, but I have an appreciation for what it is. And I can only imagine at the time what people must have thought when he was doing these crazy, incredible architectural masterpieces. I, I don't want to live in a, in a Gaudi building, you know, but I can appreciate that. But the fact that here's this person that's developing this personal style that is so recognizable and so identifiable, and that still appeals to a group of people. There are a group of people, maybe not everybody, but there are a group of people that say, wow, that's incredible. I want to live in that. And so I think the thing is, is that everybody's personal, everybody's individual. And I think you have to build on those elements to really have a personal space that represents you and that you're comfortable with and happy with. So I feel like it's so nice to just give ourselves the freedom. Like none of us, well, very few of us are ever going to sell our collections for anything. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe a piece here or there, but for the most part, most people, 90% of people buying art, and I'm using the word art very broadly, are going to ever sell it for a profit. So it's nice to sort of free yourself up from feeling like, oh, I have to buy this because it's a an artist who's valuable. Well, even if it's an artist who's really popular, are they going to be popular in 50 years? I mean, Probably not. So just buy something that you like. Yeah. And you even, know, it, even that's so freeing. Yeah. And even yeah. if you have the disposable income to sort of buy beautiful blue chip pieces, just because they're expensive and just because they're recognizable and just because everybody else loves them, do they speak to you? And mm -hmm. do you, even, even having the money to do so, the, do you want to look at that for the next 25 or 30 or 50 years? So that's a big thing. And, 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 Alternatively, when you go back to sort of the rest of the world, and when I say that the majority of people who are buying art are not necessarily, they don't necessarily have a huge budget and it's, it's going to be something that's more decorative, let's say. But the thing is, is that you can go, I mean, part of this, the amazing part of this pandemic, because we have to look at the positives also, is the fact that, you know, we found some amazing, amazing people that do incredible craft and, and sort of smaller arts locally that are extraordinary. And those are elements that are not, you know, going to break the bank. Somebody who's making some beautiful little felt sculpture and it's like $110, you know what I mean? Like you can buy something like that and start to build on, I'm more about individuality and original. So I, I could, I, to me, obviously there's value attached to beautiful things and I, I happen to like blue chip art too. But at the same time, I love supporting like a local art school. I love supporting students that are starting out that that have ability and talent. Maybe it's not exactly what you were thinking about comparing it to something that's really established, but it's also something that's $300 is also very different than something that's $3,000 or $30,000. And so there's that old saying about the starving artists. At the end of the day, there's so much creativity out there. And I think that if you just look, you can find it almost anywhere. We've helped people put together really beautiful. And when I say collections, it's not meant to sound pretentious, like people that have just put together beautiful collections for not a huge amount of money because they've just bought things that they've loved along the way. And then later on, as people grow and they maybe they're in a different income bracket, they may sort of upgrade and, and add more established artists to what they've collected. But because it's all something that they loved, it, it still has a thread and you can make it work and tie it together. You know, like there's a, something about that original piece that we could afford to buy when we first got married versus, you know, the Monet on the wall now kind of a thing. 
I also love the way you use art to take like mundane spaces and make them very special, like, for example, staircases or not thinking of a specific example from your book, but like the bathroom, like you mentioned, mm. like those are just spaces that like, OK, they're utilitarian. Yeah. But they are dramatic in your book. And, and listen, I like I spend a lot of time in my personal bathroom, so I like to look at beautiful things. And I, I obviously... Not putting a crazy a line drawing on paper, you know, in glass above my tub. You know, it's just that wouldn't be practical. But at the same time, it's not going to stop me from from filling my bathroom with beautiful things to see. I, I have an amazing ceramicist that I I've loved her work for years, and we in fact collected it for a time, and then I I commissioned a, a, an additional number of pieces. And that's actually in my bathroom. You see all these beautiful sort of varied uh, ceramics in my bathroom. And I love them because we have lots of towels, obviously, but how many towels do you need to store in shelves where your tub is? So we filled ours with an installation of this beautiful ceramicist's work, you know, and her, she's local and she does beautiful things. And I love supporting her. And I just love the pieces. They make me happy. Every time I see them, they make me happy. And that's what I encourage our, all the people to buy something that does that. But you can take that, like you were just saying, and you can put that in what would be considered a mundane or, or, or a very basic space that is more a thoroughfare, a hallway, a stair hall, a, a mudroom, something that you don't think of as spending time in. And I always think that those spaces are the potential to do the most crazy things. And in our situation, because we have so many pieces, you know, our stair halls are, are really, they're, they're kind of <laughs> people, they're renowned because we do put a lot of art in our stairs, but that's because we have wall space to do it there. And that's where a lot of the things end up. So that's definitely of anywhere that we ever live. Our stair halls are probably the most dramatic when it comes to art groupings and gallery style walls, because it just allows us the freedom to be able to put as much in those spaces as possible. But again, very curated and edited at the same time. But the great thing about a stair hall is like, you really get up close and personal with art. You know what I mean? Like, totally. it's a space where you're, you're right up against the wall yeah. many times, you yeah. know, like you're within two feet, whereas in a large great room, you may never really be able to get up close to the piece over the fireplace, because totally. it's six feet off the ground, Absolutely. you know? So I love that about a staircase. It's like you can really get in there and like appreciate the details and the the handwork and yeah. And, and to your point, like a lot of the time we'll place things there just because, you know, the texture of the oil painting might be so fine and so delicate and so beautiful that it, it's not appreciated from a distance over a fireplace. And that when somebody gets up close, they can see that. Or a crazy, like we have this beautiful contemporary piece that's like crazy, thick, globby paint that... I mean, you could always put your fingers through it so thick, but it's also the type of thing that you wouldn't be able to appreciate from a huge distance. And that, you know, that instance or that location allows you to do that. So we're, we're all about sort of the experiences. And I have a girlfriend that years ago, she sort of tagged what we do as sensorial, you know, like, and she, she's like, every time I'm in your house, it's like a sensorial experience because everything, there's something to look at everywhere. There's something to touch, feel, see. And she's like, it's amazing how you just, like you said, you, you zero in on something and you stop there and you get to really sort of absorb it and enjoy it versus maybe not noticing if it was further away and up on, a pie somewhere that you couldn't see it. Well, I have a question. It's, it's something that I noticed in your book where I feel like you're not afraid to hang art a little bit lower to have the back of the chair might cover that one little like inch of the painting or even over a sofa, like something might be hung a little bit lower where I feel like a lot of people have the tendency to hang it up higher. So no one's head hits it or 
you know, whatever kind of fears we have about that. Yeah, even even I mean, there's the the old stance about putting art at sight lines and visual lines, and that's the only spot that you can sort of put something. And I look at it this way. I mean, none of us live in a gallery. No one does. No one lives in a gallery, you know? And at the end of the day, I I don't want to live in a gallery. I mean, I love galleries because they can show pieces individually. And the whole idea is that when you see something displayed on a larger wall by itself, obviously you're, you're getting all of that. But if you wanted to just live like that and have one piece, I guess that's a way to look at it. But for me, I like to be, even in the contemporary places that we do, I like to be kind of thrown into the art, so to speak. I like to walk into a way and have something that's, if it's a nine foot ceiling, have an eight foot piece of art in there that goes almost to the floor and almost to the ceiling. So it, it not that it becomes overwhelming, but it kind of, you're walking into this, this feeling as opposed to just, there's a big painting on a far wall that's big enough to hold it. And again, it, it, there's something about being able to just tie things together a little bit better in my way if they don't look so planned and so the way they're supposed to be. I had, listen, I even have clients where we have to try to educate them where, you know, you don't need to ever put everything at, you know, five foot six so that it's at your eye line. Everybody's, I mean, I'm six foot two. So everything's would be so much higher for me also, you know, and, you know, as you've seen, we put things that are below a chair back. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, I think it's wherever it looks best. And I think wherever someone's going to experience it the most. Mm-hmm. I love that idea of making someone walk into a feeling. Yeah, with, absolutely. With That's great. Absolutely. And I, and I felt like there were some moments where you could see like it was placed like just next to a chair. So it's almost like at eye level if you were sitting in the chair. Definitely. Like that is just duh. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> Yeah. No, but it's but when you say that it's funny because I think even in school you're taught certain things, you're taught certain rules, you're taught all these things. And, and I, I guess it's fine. But like, for me, I think that there's so much more. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, I think of amazing places that I've been or that I've experienced that sort of stand out in my mind, even traveling and where all of a sudden, you're looking at something in a different way. And you're like in this beautiful sort of Parisian bar that's stacked with artwork. And sometimes there's something below a table, you know what I mean? But when you're sitting in a certain spot in a certain chair, looking across there, you're seeing it, you know, mm-hmm. and you're getting to, to experience it in a different way, but you're still getting to experience it. And the overall feel of that space would not be what it was if that little painting wasn't below the table. You occasionally incorporate art lights over a piece, mm-hmm. but not always. So I'm curious when you feel like it is appropriate to use an art light on a painting or piece. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge believer in lighting proper artwork and, and lighting it properly. And when I say that, if something's, you know, new construction from scratch and you have all the flexibility to do whatever, you know, there's lots of different ways to do things. But often the cases is that maybe it's maybe it's a decorating project where the, the project is done or completed and you're just, you know, you're you're doing all the surfaces and things, but we're not opening up walls. I have no problem, and you you can see this in some of the the projects that we do also. I have no problem installing a picture light that has a cord that's running down that is exposed and that you see. Again, if it's a white wall, I would put a cord cover on it. If it's sort of that sort of translucent sort of look, it's even better. And it, you know, if it's against a texture or a grass cloth or something like that, it almost disappears. But I think you know, there's a lot of people who find that offensive or they don't like the look of it. I would rather see that than not have something lit if you could light it properly. And again, you know, we, we tend to light darker things. We tend to light things that have big, big expanses because they need it. Colorful things, we also try to, we try to highlight just because 
sometimes colors get lost or disappear. And I know that some people like to sort of tone things down, but you know, usually if people buy a really colorful abstract piece of art, they want to see it. We try to look at that in all instances and in all different examples of that. And, and you know, we'll even highlight a little tiny piece of art that's quite dark. And maybe it's a little, little oil painting, like in the old Dutch master style. And you want to see the candlelight in that actual painting. We will highlight that with the, with the picture light if we can. But again, we do try to really focus on the lighting and think about that all throughout the process when we're looking at things. And in the beginning, if we can design it into the spaces, we absolutely do. So so if we're doing our own pieces, should we just like light our house up like we would the, turn all the lamps that you would turn on and then go walk around and see what? Absolutely. Needs? Okay. There, there, there are places where people forget <laughs> that even ta- turning on a table lamp, that there's, depending on the lamp, there's sometimes, you know, a nice, beautiful, soft glow that will come from the top of that lamp that's open that's going to highlight something that's naturally there already. So mm. obviously that doesn't need a piece of, of, right. of lighting or additional lighting to go with that. But yeah, that's the best thing to do. And, and sometimes too, to, the, to your point about the lamp, it's just as easy sometimes to add a lamp where there wasn't before, but it actually it, it's not only going to highlight a piece of art, but it could help if you're going to be reading in that chair, if you're going to be, you know what I mean? It, it could be a darker area of the room that sort of can add sort of another layer. And again, that, that's something that anybody can do without ripping apart their walls and installing picture lights, you know, mm-hmm. or, or recessed lighting. Like at the end of the day, you could buy a beautiful decorative lamp that's going to do a great job when it's on, but also when it's off, enjoy this beautiful shape or shade or whatever it is. Okay. I feel like we should do a decorating dilemma. What do you think? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> it's Sounds time. Great. I think it's time. <laughs> All right. So here we go. This is from Sarah and she writes, Hi ladies, I love the podcast. I'm currently working my way through the archives. Not only is it helpful, but so entertaining. All right. So don't forget Philip's first episode. When you need it, you need to catch up on that. Okay. I need major help with this room. We've moved in a year ago as a rental, but are currently in the process of buying it. That's cool. My style is California coastal minimalist. We are very casual. I hate clutter. I'm not afraid of some negative space, but I like large scale art and color too. The room faces north, so the lighting is very tricky. We are currently planning a kitchen renovation, for, so the budget for this room is minimal. I have three young kids, so the furniture stays and the window treatments are custom by the previous owner, so they also stay. Sadly, the ceiling fans are also non-negotiable because we live in a tropical climate. My plans are move the two chairs to another room and buy a pair of accent chairs, move the large abstract art to the entryway, put something square there, get a third white shelf, and then center them and style them, get better looking ceiling fans, and maybe add an upholstered ottoman. My questions are paint. I tested a series of colors in, in light blue, light green family, and they look terrible in this lighting. I'm down to white dove, simply white, and edgecomb gray. But is the room going to be too boring if it's white? What are other colors that would work in a very long northern room? Number two, I'm on team Taryn when it comes to family photos, but the gallery wall at the back doesn't seem to make enough of an impact. We don't have a dining room. This is the dining area. I've always loved Gray Mallon's large-scale aerial photography and think a triptych would look amazing there. But if I have actual tropical views, could I also have a photography piece of tropical-type views? What else could I put there? Number three, are the lamps large enough and how do I add more lighting? And number four, any recommendations for an ottoman that is large enough for the space? So I think this is a great question, and and the space that she has to work with is pretty extraordinary. And her view is 
Everything. She says she has a great view. It's like <laughs> she's she's understating that. Yes, yeah, quite a, quite a bit, quite a bit. <laughs> but I have to say, uh, it's you know all all great questions. And for me, the number one thing regarding the paint is that you know northern rooms are tricky, and especially it looks like she's in a very tropical location there. Myself, I would I would tend to go super super neutral. I would do one of the whites that she's talking about because I think that's going to be clean and simple and not fight with all the colors that will change throughout the day in that space. The next thing is that I think all of her suggestions regarding the shelves make sense and sort of adding that third and center go on the wall. I love the idea of doing the new pair of chairs there. I like her family, you know, gallery wall of the photographs. For me, I would move them to the other wall. So the wall right now that has the contemporary piece of artwork, it looks a little forced in there, like it's a little tight between those windows. I would move the gallery wall to that side, and I would think about moving that contemporary piece that she was thinking about for the foyer on that back wall of the dining room, because I think it will have more space to sort of be enjoyed and, and a little negative space around it. And I think it would be a great focal point there. Just swap them. Just swap them. I know that she's, you know, working with a budget. One of the things for me that I notice in the space is that I would love to see her, even if it's not the same fabric, if it's no longer available, to, but to find something that's similar or that's, you know, light and neutral that could work with the window coverings. I, I think there's drapery on some windows and then there's, looks like sort of, sort of Romans or matchsticks on the others. I would add some panels to the windows that look like they're a little bare to me, just, just to soften the space and again, absorb a little bit of the sound. I'm sure when those doors are open and you're hearing that ocean, it's probably a little bit noisy. <laughs> not a bad noise, not a bad, though. Not a bad noise. Yeah. Not a bad noise. Certainly beats like the interstate or train. Absolutely. Or, you know, absolutely. Yeah, honking. Totally. But and then regarding her lamps, I don't think that her lamps are too small. I feel like I would probably move the one side table with the one lamp sort of over to the other sofa that's backing onto where the dining room is so that you sort of have a pair of tables and lamps there. And I probably would look at adding like another small side table where we're taking that one away and possibly a floor lamp there. And I would look at adding another floor lamp on the other side where the little small chair is by the fireplace where one of the ones that she's going to be replacing. I think that would also add a little bit of lighting on that side as well. And she yeah. has a huge amount of space in the middle of the room. And I know she talked about an ottoman, but like what... I, I was going to suggest again, and I and I, I understand probably she, they live super casually, and that's why she likes the idea of an ottoman. But why not introduce more than one thing? Why not have like mm -hmm. a big rectangular ottoman that you can put your feet up and and use and forget about trying to put a tray on it to, that's always going to be knocked over with three kids? And then if you've got that nice big rectangular ottoman on the other side of that, sort of closer to the fireplace, maybe you do something sort of round, like a round metal table, and then next to that also maybe a squarish table, and you all of a sudden have instant interest, total practicality, and you really need to fill that space. I mean, I think if she was just doing a square ottoman, she's going to have to do like a five foot by five foot square ottoman. And it's going to be- And who needs that nah. much ottoman? Exactly. <laughs> but I love the idea of mixing that, maybe an ottoman with a couple of different tables with that, just, just to be more flexible. And again, it sounds like they have, you know, they're an active family and they use this room. And I think that will help them use it a little bit more than if they just did a huge ottoman in that space. Yeah. Okay. You do this in your New York apartment. There's a- ottoman with a table like overlapping it so absolutely. she needs to get sarah you got to get philip's book absolutely find his manhattan apartment and you can see exactly what he's talking about for sure that yeah it, it's it's very clever and to your point like it's it's functional absolutely you know, like and, yeah. and i think again if you've got three kids at least you've got some sturdy tables that you can put you know a glass of juice on versus an ottoman that's right. going to have a tray that's going to definitely topple over like everyone's does <laughs> yeah yeah. Okay. What about just like she says something about accent chairs. Is there any? So I, I assume she just means sort of replacing the two chairs with 
Yeah, I mean, I know that she said that she's more, uh, not, I don't know if she said minimal, but she likes it a little bit cleaner or simpler. I, I mean, I, I have no problem doing you know, a pair of chairs to replace the chairs that she's talking about, but I might even add a third single chair sort of over by the fireplace and the other sofa on that side, just for conversation. It sounds like there's a lot of people in their family, so if they have company over, it's always good to have a little bit more seating. And you know, I just think it would be nice to sort of fill the space of it. It is a big, substantial space, and I think it totally can handle it. I feel like she needs more color, though. She has this gorgeous rug that is so pretty. And I, I, I would love to see her pull some colors onto either those chairs or like pillows. Absolutely. Or, Toss pillows yeah. or even accessories, you know. And they can be muted, pretty muted colors that aren't totally that sort of. Yeah. Like, or even in the drapery to that panels. minimalism. But yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Even in the drapery panels. Yeah. But she has this is a gorgeous room. It's it is like, incredible. This is, yeah. So the, the view is so spectacular. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Yeah. We're all so jealous. I think it was a good plan to decide to purchase rather than just continue renting there. Yeah. Yes. 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 yes, yes <laughs> Stay yes, there for forever. Sure. It's amazing. But thank you so much for listening, Sarah. And we're so excited to hear more about how you, we want, we want to see after photos. Like definitely. We, oh, definitely. We have to. So please send them along. All right. Philip, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, see your work? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I have a website, philipmitchelldesign.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at philipmitchelldesign. And uh, yeah, we have a new book coming out. <laughs> Collected <laughs> yeah. Interiors, Rooms mm-hmm. to Tell a Story. I would love for anybody who, it's coming out, uh, it's actually just been delayed shipping, things like that from, from Asia, but like everybody's has. Um, but it's definitely, it's expected the beginning of October. But again, you totally can pre-order it. And I would encourage everybody to try to pre-order from a local book supplier, independent book supplier if they can. Obviously, you can go to Amazon and, and get it there as well. But uh, it's just, you know, you can definitely get them ahead of time. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Excited that I think there's going to be a lot of inspiration for a lot of people out there. Very exciting! Congratulations! What a like! I know it's been a labor of love. So definitely, thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited to be here, and uh, thank you again. It was such a pleasure. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com/podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!